0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk Thank you for listening. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at um, the story of Gideon and learning some lessons for that. And last week we looked at how Gideon started with an army of 30,000 or more men and how God said to him, actually that's too many. Although even with 30,000 men you are vastly outnumbered by your enemy. 30,000 is too many for you to go and fight with because if you go and win a victory with 30,000 men you'll think you did it in your own strength whereas I want you to know you did it in my strength and so God took him through a process where that 30,000 men got whittled down to a core committed army of only some 300 or so men. And yet those 300 men overcame an enemy that was hundreds of times larger than them. So how did they do it? How did they do it? How did this small but extraordinary army bring what looked like Absolute, inevitable defeat into total victory. I'm going to read from Judges 7, verse 16 onwards. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of them all, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp just at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they'd changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and they broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, and grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The enemy fled to Bethshitta, towards Zerahah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah, near Tabath. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of Jordan ahead of them, as far as beth So the men of Ephraim were called out, and they took the waters of Jordan as far as beth They also captured the two Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the Rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. So how did they win? How did they win this battle? The answer is quite simple. They won the battle by using powerful weapons. But the weapons they deployed weren't material ones. They weren't swords, they weren't guns, they didn't roll out the armour. The weapons they brought out of their arsenal were wholly spiritual. Okay, look at it. They were told out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. That's in verse 20. But if you read the passage carefully, they didn't have a single sword amongst them. And even if one of them had sneaked one through somehow, right, they, were holding, they were holding a jar in one hand and a trumpet in the other. Okay. The jar had their torch in it and their trumpet in the other hand. What were they going to do with a sword? Okay. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, The weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful. Yeah? The weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful. So let's just have a look at the weapons that they used on that day. The first weapon they used is actually a very significant one, and yet it's one which is easy to overlook. It was, in fact, their unity. you might be tempted to say, let's look at the spiritual significance of the pictures and the lights and the trumpets. Because right? they had to let the, the pictures break to let their light shine, and we can draw all things out of that, you know, and argue, isn't the first lesson that comes out of this, about the need to break our physical man to let God's light shine through. But actually, I don't think that's the heart of the matter. Now just imagine for a moment... If one of them had actually embraced the truth regarding the need for brokenness and had broken his vessel, okay, and held his light up and blown his trumpet all on his own, do you think it would have brought the same impact on the massive army that was camped down in the valley? I don't think it would have been. I think it would have been a total failure. It's like if you go into the middle of a big space and shout. If you shout all on your own, it's like your voice gets lost. Yet when you gather with hundreds of other people and shout together, suddenly you feel as though your voice can be heard. The power of their strategy was firstly in unity. That was a spiritual weapon. They all acted together as if they were one person. Without that united action, the weapons they were using wouldn't have worked. It would have been a disaster. They needed to be absolutely and entirely together in what they were doing. We need to learn from that, because we need to be committed and loyal to one another. There's There's a passage in scripture that says, where brothers dwell together in unity, God commands his blessing. There is God's blessing in being together in unity. Now, it's easy at big gatherings to feel... We're all united. It's easy to feel that when you go away to a conference and there are thousands there. But actually, we need to feel at unity when we come together and worship. People embrace, people laugh, people enjoy good fellowship and love to sing. And we can feel in some of those settings a wonderful oneness but that isn't where unity is tested the test starts when you go home and go your separate ways unity is challenged when we hear rumours about other people rumours that breed fear and anxiety rumours that bring suspicion and then take on a form that means they're passed on as if they're fact because gradually what happens is a background of hurt and mistrust and bitterness builds up and is inflicted on God's people. In a situation of true unity, okay, there's a heart attitude that refuses to believe rumours without checking them out. where rumours won't be allowed to colour our thinking and prejudice us towards our brothers and sisters. We shouldn't ever accept unproven rumours, even regarding our enemies. And how much more do we need to be loyal to one another? Rumour and hearsay, to be totally rejected by God's people have you ever been at a party where you've played that game Chinese whispers yeah you know you all sit in a circle and someone whispers in the ear a message to the, sorry, to the ear of the person next to them and it gets passed on round the circle and by the time it gets back to you it often bears no resemblance at all to what originally started now imagine if that had happened in Gideon's group of 300 they're separated from one another around the edge of the valley it's night so they can't lip read they take up their positions and they look down on the hordes of Midianites there's a delay And like whenever we're in a position where nothing's happening, we get a bit anxious, don't we? There's that pause. We don't know when it's going to happen. We start to feel the anticipation. The adrenaline kicks in. And it seems for a moment, endless, waiting for that shout. And then someone says to their nearest neighbor, through that darkness what was it we were meant to shout the reply comes a sword for the lord and gideon you better pass it on it gets passed on to the next person something about gideon's sword gideon's got a sword i haven't got a sword did you say he's got a sword All I've got is a light and a picture and a trumpet. And you can imagine how if that had happened, by the time it got round 300 people, it would have been a farcical sight. Rumours are better checked out. We need to be steadfast and loyal to our brothers. And I mean, I know I might be laboring the point here, but it's disunity that has affected and made the church impotent for years. Factions breaking down one against another just because of rumor and distrust. Gideon's men remained united even when they were under pressure and when they were separated by darkness. Paul wrote to the Colossians and told them to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. To bear with one another and to forgive just as they had been forgiven. He he was reminding them that God had told his chosen people to put on love, which is the bond of unity. He was telling them to let Christ rule in their hearts and if we forget that we're members one with another we'll never truly be united and never become an effective army so that's the first weapon unity secondly they had a very powerful weapon up their sleeve as well called strategy and actually It was a divine strategy. In earthly sense, it meant nothing. Who would go into battle with a light inside a jar and a trumpet? Even if you'd been there in the time of Jericho and seen the walls fall down when trumpets were blown, I don't think you'd want to go into battle with just a trumpet and a clay pot. I wouldn't. I might have wanted a shield. And something to fight with would have been very useful. But nonetheless, each one of them stood in their place. And there was a strategy behind this. The strategy was that because of the number of lights that would appear suddenly, it would give the impression of being an overwhelming force. Because if 300 lights suddenly appear... The expectation was there would be 10 or 20 men around each of those. And so it would give the impression that there were thousands suddenly appearing from nowhere. But they had to give that impression to be properly spaced around the top of the hillside. Each light, each trumpet, each shout had to make the right contribution at the right time, in the right place, to give the right effect. You can just imagine it, can't you? I'm going to mix some illustrations up here a bit, but, you know, Gideon's soldiers were sent to line the hillside. One of them sees an old lady struggling along with a heavy bag and stops to offer her for help. Another thinks he hears someone shouting that they're lost in a cave and goes off to find him. And if that had happened, there would have been gaps in the chain. It brings the question, is your light shining where God wants it to be? He wants you to be in the place of maximum impact We're not meant to be stumbling around, chasing after good causes. Each of us has significance in our own right and have a part to play in that army. And that's the third weapon they had. Each of Gideon's soldiers had their part to play. They weren't only standing in the right place, they were all... functioning. They were all actively involved. The reason those 300 were there was firstly because all the ones who were scared had been told to go home so they were totally committed to the task in hand and even that had been whittled down from 10,000 to 300. They were stood there, they were committed They had their torches and their pitchers and their trumpets. There was no way they were going to be passive. Ephesians 4 tells us that we will come to fullness of stature when every part of the body is functioning correctly. It says in verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we within all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. From him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When a body has a part that's not doing its work, it doesn't function properly. I know that. (laughs) I've just had a couple of weeks of that. I've had bits that haven't functioned properly. And I was really feeling quite poorly. I'm, I'm hoping that thanks to prayer and the wisdom of doctors, that that's changed. But Gideon's army would have been destroyed if someone had been missing. Imagine the chaos. If one shouted... And then the others sort of grouped up together to have a discussion about it and then decide whether to shine their lights or not. Every member there played their part. And we need to be in our places working properly. And then the impact we can have will be enormous. Now, there is a contrast between Gideon's army and the church today. And that is in Gideon's army... They all had an identical task to do. Whereas the church has an almost infinite variety of things that need doing. God has blessed us with a variety of giftings though. That when we're added together, we build up a church which is wonderful and glorious. Just think for a moment about creation. Think about its diversity and its beauty. Think about the wildlife programs you sometimes see on TV. They give us glimpses of something which occasionally we find hard to believe because of the infinite variety of life. You know, not even two snowflakes are the same. Now, You know, my background's in science. And when you start to think numerically about what that means, that no two snowflakes are the same, it's staggering. And yet, all of creation is one day just going to be wrapped up and thrown away. But his church... God's church will continue forever. And so the glorious variety we see in creation is nothing compared to what we will see in the church. Its variety is the very epitome of God's creative ability. Is it right that we should go to church on Sunday... Sing four hymns, hear a sermon, and go home. Isn't that a waste of God's creative ability in the church? It was great this morning to see the kids with the flags. I I do sometimes have fear for my eyes. <laughs> Fortunately, they're protected by glasses, particularly when you're stood at the front and you, see, you open your eyes and you see a flag doing that. But, but, you know, again, it's just a glimpse of the creativity that God can put in the church. And there are things we can't dream of that will, over the coming years and decades, be added to the church. Just remember, it's only the church that survives. The rest of creation will be cast away. God hasn't fallen in love with the sea, or the mountains, or the trees. However much they impress us, however wonderful they are, the church is the apple of God's eye. And he will keep it forever If you ever run into one of these people, you um, quite early in a conversation with them realise you've made a mistake. You, um, you start in conversation with that famous line, Oh, how are you doing? And somewhere between 15 and 35 minutes later, you wish you hadn't asked the question what they do is they pour out to you a tale of woe and of sorrows. The funny thing is, the next time you see them, you've probably forgotten and you ask them again. And you hear the whole thing again. Sometimes by the third time you meet them, you've remembered and you ask them a different question. But we need to speak to people like that Reminding them that for a believer, life is anything set negative. There is so much we have to be thankful for that we should never feel negative about life. We all have a part to play, whether it's large or small. Paul lists his gifts of the Spirit. And you know if you read through that list, it doesn't matter how many times you read through it there isn't one entitled Sending Cards I've never found it, have you? No? There isn't a spiritual gift called Sending Cards But do you know I've met people who do that and that's their ministry in the church And it can be effective and encourage people and build the church up. That list is not exhaustive. It's the start. Paul said, there's prophecy, there's tongues, there's words of knowledge, there's gifts of healing. And then he ran out of space and time. God gives people gifts to bring to the church that we can't imagine. Simply someone who makes cards and sends them to people who need encouragement, is giving a real gift to the church. God wants every one of us to be in the right place, working fully and effectively in his glorious church. And there is so much to do. There is plenty of opportunity. Finally, Gideon's army wasn't only characterized by its unity and its use of spiritual weapons. You'll also notice the tactic that they deployed was totally dependent on God. They didn't adopt the attitude that they had to do everything themselves. But on the other hand, they didn't sit around passively saying, God will sort it out. The battle of Midian shows us a balance between human responsibility on the one hand and divine intervention on the other. We mustn't sit around passively waiting for the angelic to appear and sort things out for us. We need to seek God for strategy. It says in scripture that we are co-workers. It says we fellowship with God in that work. Now God could step in and just triumph, sort things out without involving us. But he chooses to invite us to be involved in his plan. He has different strategies for different battles. If you look back at the story of Jericho, his strategy was walking around in circles and shouting and blowing trumpets. If you look at the story of I, when that was taken... The strategy was actually to set up an ambush. And we mustn't assume that because a certain method worked once or worked somewhere else, that it's right to use it again. God isn't locked into a formula or a method. But he wants to share his plans with us so that we can get to know him and work with him. Gideon's army was unified. Everyone was in the right place at the right time and functioning. They had a strategy. But they were still totally dependent on God. And given that background, God was able to act. The Midianites didn't run away because of a bitter noise and a little bit of confusion. They fled because it says God set the sword of one against another throughout their whole army. It doesn't matter how skillful Gideon's manoeuvres had been. He couldn't have destroyed that army in his own strength. But God stepped in. And we need to continually ask God for his strategy in our generation and our town. And then ask him for his presence to make our work become godlike in its proportions. Gideon's victory was total. The Midianites were devastated. And they ran for their lives. And with great rejoicing, Gideon told his army to go after them. And they pursued their enemies and totally defeated them. And it became a memorable victory. There's just one last thing that we can learn from the battle. And it says, Gideon invited all the men of Ephraim to become involved in the final defeat. There wasn't any attempt to claim that it was his victory or just the victory of the hand-picked 300. God wanted the whole nation of Israel to feel involved and to rejoice in the victory. And so when some of the men from Ephraim challenged him He was quick to disarm them. They were saying he was being exclusive and he was quick to say come and join the fray now. They're on the run. You go and cut them off at the Jordan. There wasn't any room for any of them to claim special status. And there's no room for that today. There's no room for us to claim special status. In our conflict. God is for all his people. And we've got to learn to be like him. We've got to welcome one another in the love of Christ. We started looking at the story of Gideon by reading out of Isaiah 9. And in Isaiah 9 it promises that Christ's ever increasing government will be like the battle of Midian it will be total it will thoroughly conquer but to see Christ's kingdom come like the battle of Midian we need to unite and to take the battlefield together nothing must get in the way misunderstandings, divisions hurt from the past all needs to be put aside if God's kingdom is to be established one thing must prevail and that's forgiveness forgetting what is behind us we need to press on reaching what lies ahead we need to learn that lesson I just want to ask you to stand. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.